It seems we've got Dr. Chris. Happy Monday, Doctor. There we go. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm fine, thank you. How are you? I am good, and I'm wondering, does a scientist of your caliber ever retire? I don't think that scientists really do, because it's, it's a vocational thing, and it's a curiosity-driven thing. And you don't reach retirement age and then suddenly switch off your curiosity. I think you always remain very curious about the subject you've worked in, the work you've done, your field... The, the the applied areas of science rel relative and relevant to your areas. So I don't think scientists do suddenly stop being scientists. I think they retain a healthy interest. The good ones do anyway, lifelong. And interestingly, a guy who had the Nobel Prize at Cambridge, Max Perutz, he carried on working until he was nearly 100 years old and he published his last paper literally days before he died. And I remember going to see him lecture and give talks when he was well into his 90s. Uh, extraordinary. And it just goes to show that uh, if you do something because it's your passion, you don't just switch off your passion because you reach a certain age. It's age independent. It's a lifelong thing. And, and I think that's true of many, many, many subjects, but certainly science. I, and I'm with you there completely. And I think um, it's like those people who just love studying and they never stop studying. They get their PhD. They're getting ready to write the next thing. It isn't dependent on whether they're being paid or not. It's just a part of who they are. All right. We've got, uh, we'll take your science related questions. 011-883-0702 and the WhatsApp line 0727021702. Uh, Precious in Benoni says, good afternoon, 702 family. Why does the body mass keep reducing at old age hello precious the, the reason that body mass is lost as we get older is because as we age we lose tissue literally you lose collagen which is one of your connective tissues you also lose elastin which is the elastic tissue in your skin also in bones so you lose the almost scaffold that is in bone and if you lose the scaffold you also lose the minerals you also lose your muscle mass this is because hormone levels change as we get older and there's less stimulus and drive to have thick big strong beefy muscles and people tend to be less active and if you're less active there's less stimulus to maintain big strong muscles so all of these factors conspire and we tend to shrink a bit and we lose mass we lose muscle mass and that means overall we lose weight Thank you so much, Precious, for that question. Here is a voice note. Good day, Dr. Chris. Why, if you cut yourself with a knife, a finger or a part of your body with a knife, it bleeds profusely? But when you watch an operation on TV, they use a scalpel and there's hardly any blood. What is the difference? Please assist, Theo. Nice question oh, there, Theo. The reason for this is, one, the skill of the surgeon. The surgeon knows where to cut, how deep to cut, and where not to cut, first point. Second point, they're also looking for bleeders, small blood vessels that will be causing blood loss. And you always want to, in any surgery, minimize blood loss. One, because that's bad for the patient. Two, it's bad for the surgeon because you can't see things because it gets obscured by blood. So whenever they spot a bleeding vessel, they will often diathermy it. And this is where you use a, an electrical current where the patient is one of the electrodes and you have an electrical pair of forceps is the other electrode and you pass a current through and it heats up the tissue and it will burn off or cauterize 
the bleeding blood vessel. So there was an aggressive um, sort of tactic to minimise bleeding by, by cauterising off small bleeding vessels. And in this way, you keep the operating field as bloodless as possible so that you can see, and it's much better for the patient not to end up with blood everywhere because A, losing blood is bad, and B, blood in places where there shouldn't be lots of blood can also be a risk of infection and also chemical irritation. So you try and minimise that as possible to do the best possible surgery and have the best recovery and the best outcome. And then, of course, doctor, we can assume if you watch Grey's Anatomy and you have a um, a doctor's degree by virtue of being um, a, a couch surfer that is <laughs> watching the series that you also know that those specific surgeries are the ones that are possibly scheduled as opposed to an emergency where it, they're using life-saving um, techniques that might cut and have blood squirting everywhere. <laughs> Putting it so nicely. Yes, um, when you do emergency and, and trauma surgery, for instance, someone who's broken a leg in an accident or someone who has got some kind of vascular emergency like an aneurysm or something, sometimes you can't control all of the bleeding immediately. That's your ultimate goal is to control, control bleeding and, and clean up the operating field and so under those circumstances you have to do very aggressive suctioning and washing out to make sure you keep things clear but again your goal is the same you're looking for where is the blood coming from what do I do to minimize blood loss as fast as possible and as safely as possible and if that means a big blood vessel needs to be cl closed up you you close up a big blood vessel but if, if it's a really big blood vessel supplying tissue downstream, you have to work out what am I going to do to preserve the flow down that blood vessel. So it might be that you have to put in a stent, a piece yes. of blood vessel that will replace the, the missing piece that's been damaged, or you bypass the blockage with, an, with a, a fake bit of blood vessel, or you borrow some blood vessel from somewhere else and plumb that in instead. Mm. There's, there's lots of ways of doing it, but the end result is the same. It's just messier. I got you completely. Let's go to Thibaut the foodie from Joburg South. Hi. Hi, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Naked Scientist. Now, yes. Dr. Smith, uh, if I may ask, the, the technique of using gold salt was very popular in the early 19th century to treat um, lung infections. Is it still being used? Is it, the technique still being used uh, today? Uh, gold salt, do you know anything about gold salt to treat lung infections? And also, what does it mean when, when, when they say that um, doctors have to collapse your lung in order to treat it? What does collapsing a lung actually entail? Thank you. I'll listen on the radio. Oh, wow. Thibaut, yo, you've done, done your homework, doctor. What was the first part of the question? I didn't about quite gold catch. About gold salt being used back in the 1900s. Right. Yes. Yeah. Well, we do occasionally use gold medically and not so much now because we've got even better ways of doing it. But for some arthritic conditions like rheumatoid arthritis, which is an immune driven immune attack on your joints, people would have gold injections, which would damp down the response and, and suppress the disease for a while. Yes. On the other question, and I haven't heard about gold being used to treat lung disease, but if anyone knows better, do please let me know. But there are some immune conditions that do manifest with lungs being a problem as well. Rheumatoid arthritis does cause lung fibrosis. So it might be that if you were having the gold injections for the rheumatoid problem, it would perhaps help the lungs a bit, but I don't know. But if anyone knows better, do let me know. When doctors say they collapse a lung, your lungs are hanging inside your chest. And the chest cavity has a layer on the inside called the pleura. And this layer is smooth and damp. 
and the lungs are covered in a similar layer. The layer on your body is called the visceral pleura, and you then have a layer of pleura on your lungs, which the two are normally stuck together, and there's a fluid between them. And in, if you've ever done the experiment where you've had two thin pieces of glass which have been pressed together with a bit of fluid between them, they're really hard to separate because there is a potential space there, a vacuum is holding them together. If you try and lift them up, you create a vacuum because the fluid stops the air rushing in around, and that holds them in apposition. So if you want to operate on the chest cavity and the lungs in the way, then the way you get around that is you peel the lung off the inside surface of the chest cavity, you separate that, those the apposition of those two pleural layers, and you can then make the lung collapse down because it, it will recoil elastically because the lung tissue is elastic. This means you can then do work inside the chest cavity and then you reinflate the lung um, by closing up the chest and putting air back into the lung and it should then reinflate and stick itself back together again. Thank you so much for that question. Here's a voice note. Hello, Dr. Chris. I semi in Tembisa. Um, I understand everything. Everything is moving. Uh, the earth is moving around the sun. The sun is moving around the center of the galaxy. And then our galaxy is also moving. Apparently, our galaxy and all the galaxies in our local group are moving towards a place called the Greater Tractor. Dr. Chris, do we even know what that, that, that regional space is? What exactly is it? I'm just confused. I haven't heard of the Great Attractor unless it's a colloquialism for, for the supermassive black hole sitting in the middle of our galaxy. But you're quite right that our galaxy is a cluster of stars. It's a big cluster of stars because from one side of the galaxy to the other is 100,000 light years. So if I shone a torch into space from here, the torch beam would be travelling at the speed of light for 100,000 years before it got to the other side of the galaxy. And there's a couple of hundred billion stars in our Milky Way galaxy. And it's a spiral. They're all organised in a spiral pattern. And they are all going round. Quite rightly, you, you're right. They are spinning round in a circuit, like a merry-go-round. So in the same way that the Earth is being orbited by the Moon and the Sun is being orbited by the Earth, the centre of our galaxy is being orbited by our stars and our galaxy, that whole assemblage of stars, is itself orbiting around. They're all going around in a giant spiral around the universe. So everything is in motion. You're quite right. And the 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 centre of the galaxy we're in, the Milky Way, has a supermassive black hole there. Scientists have actually taken a picture of this now, as in they took a picture of where the black hole makes it impossible for light to get out. That's called the event horizon. So you're not actually seeing the black hole, you're seeing the absence of light from that patch of space telling you this is the influence of the black hole. And this is made made up of matter, but also potentially other stuff as well, which is there attracting material gravitationally holding our galaxies in it, in the structure that it does and making things turn and spin at the rate that they do and there will be other influences elsewhere out in space which are also affecting the way the galaxies interact between each other and so on so i don't know what the great attractor is though but i'm happy to, to take the term away and have a look in case it's something that i've i've missed i feel like the great attractor might be um like you said the uh, a term for the black hole and i'm sure um, the newer generations are giving these cool new terms to um, the, the things that have been existing. 
Uh, yeah, quite possibly. I don't know. I'm going to I'm going to go and have a look and see if that's the word. I thought you were going to say something like it's a very seductive person <laughs> or something. You and you you were going to regale us of having dated one in the past. But so, um, <laughs> no, I'll, I'll take that away as homework and just check that uh, there's not some additional entity out there that I'm that I'm unaware of. I'll give you an example. So um, we all know the term ancestor, right? But young people call them the underground gang. <laughs> oh, very good. I like that. I'm Thank you so much, that. Dr. Christmas. We're back together next week.